Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Well, good morning, New Hope Leeward. Hey, if you're here in person, can you make some noise for those joining us online this morning? Let them know you are here. Woo! You guys are here, man. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're here live at Coppola or those of you joining us for Leeward Online. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Josiah Norgan. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And today we're starting a series. You heard we're going through the book of Colossians together. And Colossians is one of 21 epistles in the New Testament. Basically, they were letters written to specific churches or specific believers. And most times what they would do is they would tackle problems that were going on in those churches. But they're so rich with truth of who Christ is, what he has done, and how we are to live in light of that. So though they were written for others, really they were written for you and I. And I love when we get to go through a book of the Bible together verse by by verse. And even when I preach, I do my best to stay in one text because it reminds us that the Bible is not a collection of random stories and proverbs. It's not a collection of just random pieces of encouragement where we treat it like a buffet, taking the parts that we like and leaving the parts that we don't. Because if we just picked verses that we liked or even parts of them without context, we can make the Bible say, almost whatever we want. Like if your friend asks you uh, to run the Honolulu Marathon with them this year, you can tell Pastor Justin, I would love to, but Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them. Therefore, I cannot. Stop tempting me. This one is so dumb. When your kid doesn't want to clean the house, you could say, hey, John 11.35, even Jesus swept. I know, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. But I was going to do it anyway. I said I would. We take out little portions of Scripture sometimes, not even a whole verse. And so you could get really creative if your friend says, hey, can I get a ride to the airport? You could say, hey, I'd love to. But Isaiah 54, 17 says, no. (laughs) No. No weapon formed against you shall remain. But just no, you know, no. Why not? Husbands, please don't do this. Okay, next time you fight, with your, uh, fight with your wife, um, and she's going on and on and on. You can be like, you know what, babe? John 16, 3. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What makes you keep talking? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. But ladies, if he does, I got ammunition for you. You can be like, okay, okay. 2 Kings 2, 23. Get out of here, baldy, okay? <laughs> that's in scripture. Look it up. You're like, that's not in there. Look it up. Bears maul a bunch of teenage boys after. Look it up. I'm serious. It's there. Like, it is in Scripture, okay? Then, fellas, when you feel really bad, you can go back to your spouse, and you always hit them with Song of Solomon, okay? If you want to really impress your lady, that's the Scripture that you go to. Song of Solomon 4-2. I already picked it out for you. Your teeth are whiter than sheep freshly washed. They match perfectly. Not one is missing. And I... Okay, okay, please don't do, please don't do any of that. As ridiculous as all these examples are, that is often how you and I treat scripture. We pick a verse or a part of a verse so that we can use it for that moment. Now, there's nothing wrong with clinging to a certain set of scripture, memorizing it and, and studying it or quoting it, but it's important for us to remember that scripture is so much deeper than that. Would you say amen? It's rich with history, they're real people, real stories. It's rich with context. And so it must be read with those in mind. 
So we're not just going through the book of Colossians together. My, my hope is that you and I would learn how to handle scripture a little bit better. Now, if you have your hard copy Bible and you go to the opening page of the book you're about to read, so this is a very quick hack for you. If you just go to the opening page, you can learn a little bit about the book you're gonna read, when it was written, who it was written for, who it was written by, and why it was written. So I'll kinda, I already did the homework for you. Colossians was written in about 60 AD by the Apostle Paul. Now it was written from house arrest in Rome, and it was written, believed, at the same time as Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And so he wrote it to the church in Colossae, and it's a little bit different from, especially Ephesians and Philippians are are pretty happy books. Like he doesn't really tackle all these really giant problems in the church, but Colossians was a different story. There was some strange teaching that was making its way into the church. And so what Paul does, because this is a a new faith, it's essentially a, a new religion, a new way of life. So what What they often do in the epistles is they set this new foundation for everybody of who Christ is, how they are to live. And as he does that, he's going to reset a foundation for you and I. I believe this is going to be a very enriching experience over the next several weeks. And I would encourage you, if you're not in an Ohana group, to jump in one during this series. Because we're going to cover almost every single verse on the weekend, but there's some that will only be covered in your Ohana groups. So if you really want all there is to get out of this series, you can still jump into one now, or you can even just grab a couple friends and do it together because we have studies ready for you every single week. So Colossians 1.1, and we're going to go up to uh, 1.14 today, and we're just going to kind of take it piece by piece. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle, meaning one sent of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. So even these parts that we speed read through, there's, there's things to gather here. Paul starts out introducing himself. In those days, you would introduce yourself at the beginning of the letter, not just the end of the letter like we do today. He names Timothy, who's his protege in ministry, and he wishes grace and peace upon a church that he has actually never been to. He's never visited this church before. Verse three, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you. Just real quick. There's this hidden theme of overflow in in, in this first part. Really what we're looking at today, it's just a welcome and a prayer. That's all Paul is doing. But there's this overflow that I kept seeing. So he says, uh, this spring, so your faith and your love, they, they spring from this overflow, back to the text, from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. If you're taking notes, you can underline that. That has come to you. So he says the true message of the gospel. Why? Because there was false gospels that were floating around. If, you can, uh, if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. Paul wants everyone to understand up front. So everyone in the church of Colossae, everybody right now, Paul wants everyone to understand up front, Jesus is enough. And he's gonna spend really the first half of this entire book, the first two chapters that we're gonna go through this over the next couple weeks, He's gonna spend it trying to get us to understand that. Now, the false teaching floating around the church, it was a mix of Judaism, 
Gnosticism, and asceticism. And if you don't know what either of these words mean, I had to look some of them up for you, um, so don't feel bad. I'll, I'm, I'm going to explain it real quick. Judaism um, essentially said, follow Jesus, but follow all the Jewish ceremonial laws too. So it was Jesus, but it was Jesus plus uh, good works or strict legalism. Gnosticism was a little bit harder to put your finger on because it had so many different beliefs. But basically, the Gnostics believed that they had a special knowledge. That's where they get that word. Special knowledge that only came from God. And the teaching was pretty out there. Essentially, they believed that there was a lower being, kind of like Satan, who created everything. And then there was a higher being and a higher order above that. So they believed that they descended from the higher order. They were special. And what Gnosticism did, it gave them an unrealistic view of themselves. It puffed them up. It caused them to worship the higher order. They would worship angels and diminish Christ. They said Christ was just a created being and he was just a man. So it was Jesus, kind of Jesus, plus special knowledge, which eventually branched into asceticism. Now, asceticism, you guys actually, you, you may think like, I've never dealt with this before, but we all have an ant, especially here in Hawaii, where everything is demonic. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you color your hair and she's like, oh my gosh, it's a demon. Okay, so like, like that, those kind of people. That's kind of like what asceticism is. It's, it's pretty much, if everything here on earth was created by this lower being, then that means every single thing on this earth is evil. So it all must be avoided, it must be rejected, and even your bodily desires, even the ones that aren't bad, rejected too. So it's like the more miserable you were, the more holy you were. So it's Jesus plus strict legalism. Now they didn't have any of these labels. Nobody, would, nobody was walking into the church saying, hey, I'm a Gnostic. It just was kind of creeping in to Christianity. And Paul's message to them back then, and his message to us now, is it's not Jesus plus anything. If you have Jesus plus anything, you have Jesus and nothing. It's not Jesus plus anything because Jesus is enough. Would you say amen? You can't finish the finished work of Christ. It's already been done, although we try. Let's go back to the text. So Paul goes on, he says this, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the, growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, it wasn't spreading necessarily over the entire world, but the entire Roman world, which was pretty vast. Like we talked about last week, it was this little mustard seed that was growing into more they could have ever imagined. Verse seven, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of the love, of your love in the spirit. Okay, so Epaphras got saved in Paul's ministry. He goes to visit Paul in house arrest, and he tells Paul, hey, everything's going really great in the Colossian church, but also there's these things that I'm concerned of. So this is how Paul knew what to write about in this letter. Now, I know that we're kind of ripping through these verses. We're up to verse nine now, and this is where we're gonna kind of slow down at this point. So let's jump in, verse nine. For this reason, so because of your love in the spirit, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you, so again, there's that overflow again, to fill you with the knowledge of his love 
sorry, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Okay, I'm gonna be honest. When I looked at the verses I had for this weekend, I was like, who on earth split up the book of Colossians this way? I realized I'm the idiot who did, okay? So these verses... It's just these super long run-on sentences that Paul is saying. And there's all these, all these words that he's throwing at us. So I realize when we read this part, we usually just kind of like our brain kind of shuts down as we read these super long sentences. But what Paul is saying here is really amazing. So we're gonna slow down right here. He's talking about an overflow and he's gonna address three things that are meant to overflow in us as believers. He's gonna talk about it in uh, this verse and some of the ones after. And so the first one he talks about is knowledge. You can write this down. Paul prays that we would have a knowledge that overflows into change. Another way you could word it is, is wisdom, which is the application of knowledge. But I, I wanted to make it even more simple. Knowledge that overflows into change. Now there is more knowledge to consume than ever before as human beings. With the age of the internet, there is more to read, more to study than ever before. And I would make the argument that there, though there is more knowledge in the world than ever before, humanity is dumber than ever before. Would you say amen? amen. My wife is saying amen somewhere about me. Okay, so I, I, like that. There's more knowledge than ever before, yet you and I, it seems like humanity, we're, we're dumber than ever before. And you and I, when it comes to, to knowledge, we have this, this tendency to just consume. And we even do that with church. Now, there are some of you that, that we, we consume not even just one sermon on a weekend. There's multiple churches that you watch. You, you watch multiple different sermons. And I'm not offended if you watch another church, as long as you say, I'm the funniest and I'm the prettiest of them all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that there is... Multiple sermons we watch, multiple podcasts we read, multiple uh, verses, we're part of multiple hundred groups, multiple studies. There's some of us we just consume and consume and consume. But when, when we do nothing with it, when you and I just consume knowledge and it doesn't actually change us, it's useless. Knowledge without change is useless. I've, I told this story before um, one time my, my kids were in the tub and I heard one of my kids start choking. And so I run into the room and I'm like, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? And my son is, he has a cup of water in like the water that they're sitting in, which is so gross. And he's pouring it into his mouth and trying to breathe at the same time. Yes, he gets his brains from his father. So he's choking like as he's doing it. And between coughs, he tells me, dad, I can breathe underwater. And I'm like, no, I've witnessed, absolutely, you cannot. And he says, no, I can. And I say, no, you can't. And he stands up in the tub and he goes, yes, I can. And so me being the nurturing, loving father that I am, I say, show me, please. And <laughs> sure enough, sure enough, again, <laughs> like he starts coughing. And it's such a, such a funny picture. I feel like God looks at me doing that sometimes. I'm doing the same things over and over again, expecting that I'm going to get a different result. And I'm learning through consequence, not wisdom, through consequence, over and over and over again. Knowledge without change is useless. If we're just full of knowledge, 
Just, just think about water for a moment. Even, even the purest water. This one's not that pure. I can see backwash in it already. But even the purest of water, what happens when it just sits? Purest water putrefies it. It rots. It begins to stink, right? If you left this out for a couple days, you would know not to drink this. The same thing happens with knowledge when it sits stagnant. It begins to stink. And this will happen in two very different ways for you and I. So if you go to church and you just hear the verses and you consume knowledge, but you do nothing with it, it'll stink either in the sense that you're just going to feel this emptiness all the time. You're just going to feel like a loser. You're going to feel like an idiot. You're going to feel like God doesn't want to see you. No matter what I say on the weekend, you're going to feel like it applies to everybody else, but it does not apply to me because everything I hear, I never change and it's always the same. So that's one direction. The other direction that you and I can go is if we're just filled with knowledge, we can kind of become like the Gnostics in the church of Colossae where we just know everything. We're God's gift to Christianity and everybody else needs to get it together, but not us. Knowledge, when it just sits, it, 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 when it's stagnant, it does no good for us. And so Paul prays this. Look at the verse again. He prays that we would be filled with knowledge by the Spirit to the point of overflow. And this is what this knowledge is supposed to do. Verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Why do trees bear fruit? Not for themselves. If the tree holds on to the fruit, the, the fruit rots just like the water does. It bears fruit for others. It bears fruit to plant seeds. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Where knowledge really benefits you and I is the place that it overflows into change when it overflows into the place of you stepping away from things that kill your soul. And it's gonna take you multiple tries to do so. When knowledge overflows to the point that as we live in this world that just has all these different definitions of truth that causes you to stand back on his truth, when knowledge causes you and I to love people lavishly and to serve sacrificially, when knowledge gets us to the place of not just consuming church, not just consuming good verses, but getting us to the place of saying, Jesus, if you did all of this for me, then I want to do something for others. That is where knowledge begins to benefit us, when it changes who we are. And Paul ends this section saying, growing in the knowledge of God. So although you're filled with all knowledge, you and I are still growing at the same time. You have not arrived. Would you say amen? You have not arrived and neither have I. That in this life, you're always gonna be growing. You're not gonna figure out every single thing about God. If you feel like you have, well, then you're wrong. That you and I are always gonna be learning about God. We're always gonna be learning about who we are. He's always going to be transforming us. He is always gonna be contending for this overflow in our lives that results in change. Let's go back to the prayer. So he talks about knowledge. Now he moves to strength. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. So this is still one sentence from earlier before. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with all power, not our power, but his power, God's power to the point of overflow. You can write this down if you're taking notes today. 
strength that overflows into perseverance. Now, the words that he uses are uh, endurance and patience. Endurance in the original translation, it means continuing through difficult trials. And patience, or long-suffering in the King James Version, which means to suffer long together, it means to continue on with difficult people. And I could use some endurance because it has been a tough couple years, and I could use some patience because people have been difficult. Can I get an amen? Okay, I was flipped off in Coppola the other day. Okay, in my, my own neighborhood, my good Christian neighborhood. Okay, so hey, there's a lady on the sidewalk and she's like doing something weird with her bags. And so I'm just like, I'm super nosy, man. So I just look and she stops what she's doing, stands up and just goes like this. I mean, except there's a finger that was up, you know, and it was a solid one. All the other fingers were down and I hadn't been flipped off in a long time. So while I drove by, and, and all I saw was this. I think she saw me in the car like this. <laughs> because it's been so long. It's been so long since somebody did that to me. What am I saying? Oh yeah, people are difficult. And you and I, now we have this tendency when, when we get stuck or we get tired, whether it be situations or whether it be people, we just want to give up. We just want to give up. Think about I'm so sorry to rub salt in the wound. Think about how many bad seasons your football team has had. Jaguars. Think about how many bad, bad seasons you've had. Your team, whatever team that may be, there's only a couple of us that are really happy about the Super Bowl. Yet through any season, you stick with your team. But when it comes to our church, when it comes to our marriage, when it comes to our workplace, when it comes to our friends, when it comes to our family, you and I, we're so quick to throw in the towel. And sometimes we do so too early because it's at the point that you and I feel like, you know, I've done all that I can and I can't do anymore. That is the place where God does some of his best work. In the book of James, he says, let perseverance finish its work. Like it's something that is literally working out your muscles so that you may be mature and complete, that there's a maturity and a completeness that comes in the faith, not just by blessings or times being good, but by difficulty, when you and I are sapped of strength. And this is the overflow that Paul is talking about. When you get to the place where you feel like you cannot go on anymore, you know, you get to that place and you're like, Lord, I, I don't I don't think that I can do this anymore. I feel like the Lord's response to you and I when we get to that place is finally, finally you are realizing this. The place that you and I get where we can't go on our own anymore, it's the place that we stop relying on ourselves. It's the place that we stop trying on our own power, our own know-how. It is the place that you and I become desperate and prayerful, humble and moldable, it's the place where we are often changed the most. Like if you think about your own life, you look back on your faith walk, the times that you were changed the most was when you were persevering. I'm not talking about going through it and just whining the entire time. But when you go through it and you're struggling and you're still going, those are the places where God has changed us the most. It's the place that God amazes us. It's the place that miracles happen. It's the place that testimonies are written. And I haven't mastered this. 
because I am a whiner and I am a worrier when it comes to problems in my life. And so I'm trying to see things differently now. I'm going to give you a very, I'm going to give you an example uh, that's very personal and just kind of on my heart right now. I told you last week how we're moving our, our, our church and our schools, both schools, uh, preschool and elementary, to one campus, to one site. And this will take the better part of this year, if not the entire year. And I'm, I'm hoping soon we have enough details sorted out that I can share with you, hey, this is where it's going to be. But what I don't want to do is be like, hey, here's where we're going to be, and then I have to retract it. So going through these conversations uh, with landlords and leases and, and contractors and architects, there's a lot in the timeline. If you've had to even build anything right now, you know there's a lot in the timeline that is out of your control. And so the way I'm trying to see it is this. I have not perfected this at all. The harder it is, the more difficult it is. I don't want to say this part. Even the longer it takes, the more clear that it will be God's hand in the end. Would you say amen? Humans are a prideful bunch. So when things tend to work out really well in our life, we have this way of secretly patting ourselves on the back. We give glory to God, right? We say the right things. But secretly patting ourselves on the back and saying that we did a really good job. And so the harder this is, and, and I'm trying to apply this to everything. Marriage, five kids. Don't have five kids. I love all my kids, but don't have five kids. Family, like job, global pandemic. There's so much going on right now. And there is so much that is out of my hands. And so I'm trying to change the way I look at it. The harder it is, the more that means I'm going to need the Lord. When life is easy, I don't need him as much as I should. The more I'm going to need the Lord. And the harder it is, the more clear that it's going to be in the end that God is the one who saw me through. Would you say amen? So Paul prays for a knowledge that overflows into change. A strength that overflows into perseverance. I want to give you one last one before we finish off the scripture. You can write this down. Joy that overflows into gratitude. Joy that overflows into gratitude. Now look at verse 12 again. He's going to tell us this right in the beginning. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. This is all still one sentence, by the way. This is one really long sentence by Paul. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul reminds us right here at the end, it was uh, two more verses we got to look at, that God is the one who qualified you. So stop trying to disqualify yourselves. You did not make the team. God put you on the team. And if you are in Christ, I don't know how hard your life has been recently or how unfaithful you feel you have been. He has not disqualified you. And there's actually an inheritance waiting for you that will never see decay. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is reminding the Colossian believers, he's reminding us right here in the end that Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus secret knowledge. Through him and him alone, you and I have received redemption. Meaning, like what that actually means. It means a slave being bought 
and released into freedom. And the result of this beautiful exchange is joy. Not happiness, but joy. Because happiness, if you think about it, happiness is an actor. It's directed by our feelings and it's produced by pleasant circumstances. Happiness shows up when life is good, but joy is deeper than that. Joy is based on truths that do not change, promises that cannot be broken, and an inheritance that cannot be touched. Now, I don't think Paul meant for this to be taken in steps, and it doesn't need to totally be. Like, I don't want you to think, okay, I have to have knowledge now that overflows into change, strength that overflows into perseverance, and then I can have joy. Can I tell you that you can have joy today? Would you say amen? Nothing you need to do because it's what Jesus has done. But the way he says it, it almost does kind of work in this flow where as you and I are filled with knowledge to the point that it begins to change our lives, what we do, how we live, what we say, who we hang out with, where we go on a Friday, as it changes who we are, doesn't mean that life is going to be easier. Oftentimes when you try to follow the Lord, sometimes it means that life is going to be harder. All the saints, would you say amen? If you've been in the faith a long time, you know this is true. But as you and I are filled with strength, not our strength, but his, it overflows into perseverance. And finally, the result of that is joy that overflows into gratitude. Joy not just in the good, but the bad and the ugly too. Joy is, I was thinking about it, joy is the overflow of a healthy, healthy soul. Joy is the overflow of a healthy soul, and it nourishes all who come into contact with it. So I want to leave you with this last thought before we pray, and this is personal to me again. I told you at the beginning of this year, like, I, I want joy. I want more joy in my life, and there's so much joy to be found. My, kid, my, my oldest is now 10, and it's just crazy to me to, to just watch how fast my kids are growing up, especially in COVID. I feel like life just moves so much faster than it does. And so there's so much joy to be found right now in my family, in my marriage, in my calling. And we have this tendency to look at, look at everything that's wrong, right? Everything that's not working. I want joy, and I realize this, joy is actually a choice. Joy is a choice. So I can choose to be happy or not happy based on what's going on. And life is going to keep doing that and it's going to keep changing. But joy, I can actually choose to have it. I can choose to have joy in the Lord and what he's done. Now going even back further, I can choose to have strength or I can choose to keep trying it on my own. I can choose if I'm just going to keep being filled with knowledge to the point that nothing happens or I can do something about it today. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Would you say amen? We're not looking for something else. There's no plan B. We're not waiting for something else to come along. It is Jesus and only Jesus. And so would you just start today? Please don't get overwhelmed. And you know what I used to do in church all the time? I'd be like, oh my gosh, okay, now I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this. If you start with yourself, you will be sorely disappointed. Jesus is the one who fills us. This prayer, this welcome from Paul, this is not self-help. The Spirit fills you with all knowledge. God fills you with all of his strength. 
He is the one who gives us joy. And so we begin and we start with him and we let it naturally overflow from there. Church family, would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, Lord God, you see us and you know us. And so God, we just start in this place of joy. Let's, let's start this uh, series in the place that Paul started this letter, grace and peace to us. This was not a church that was perfect. These were not believers that had it all together. In fact, they were actually pretty confused, many of them. But grace and peace. Grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It's the Father opening his arms even when we've been living as worthless individuals. Grace and peace is the feeling. It's tranquility of the soul. It is what we feel when we are wrapped up in the Father's arms. And so God, we come to you first and we come to you from a humble place saying, God, we don't have all knowledge we might not know what to do right now. We don't have enough strength and that's okay because the Apostle Paul says in another book that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I actually find his strength in that place. That Lord, sometimes we don't have joy. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would begin to just show us who you are this week as we just become humble and moldable that you are a God that longs to reveal yourself to your children. You are a God who longs to strengthen us. You are the God of joy and it is found nowhere else but in you. And so Lord, I pray that as we take little tiny steps, everything's not gonna change today. As we take little tiny steps in you, would we know that we are already transformed by you? Our inheritance is waiting in heaven. And Lord God, you are with us. I pray that we would go back to Colossians ourselves, read verses one through 14 again and see what else do you wanna to say to us personally, Lord? We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your matchless and holy name and we all say together, church. Amen, amen, amen. We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our Ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.